Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And Justin, we are back after a two-week gap. Um, We just decided to hold off and do a mega episode this week for various reasons. And it happens to be our first episode since our beautiful new rebrand across all platforms. Looks amazing. So big thank you to our good friend, Joseph Hernandez, who did the design um, for all all this stuff. You know, our logo and the new podcast cover, et cetera, et cetera. And we shouted out all of his social handles on um, our social handles you know twitter instagram etc so big thank you to him with that being said justin we can jump right in we had a lot of mls action over these past two weeks including mls rivalry week and we can start go all the way back to a few weekends ago with a historic defeat from dc united you hit it right on the head it was historic it tied an mls record for the biggest defeat ever seven nil Philadelphia smashed DC United at Subaru Park. I mean, there's not much you can really say about this, right? Bedoya getting a couple, Ore getting a couple, and Carranza getting a hat trick. I mean, what, what can you say? 7-0, they battered them. It's an embarrassment from DC United. It's incredible from, from Philadelphia, but no team should be getting beat 7-0. Just shouldn't happen. Totally. And another big win, not quite on the same level, was Portland going into their biggest rivals in Seattle, going to Lumen Field and winning 3-0, which was the biggest defeat uh, that Seattle have had at the hands of Portland in that Cascadia Cup matchup. Um, and, a, and a really monumental result there as well, especially considering Portland have been a team that have been relatively inconsistent all year, but it's a big win, which actually took them above the Sounders. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it is the biggest win they've ever had in Seattle. So it is still historic, but obviously red card to Jackson Reagan uh, early second half and then two late goals in the 80th minute on, including a penalty from Santiago Moreno. So, yes, Portland did deserve this win and they were clearly the better side if you watched it. Uh, But was it three nil? I don't know. Not not necessarily quite not necessarily quite that bad of a defeat for Seattle. But, of course, against your rivals at home, biggest loss ever, that, that's got to be focused on. Yeah, oh, and it's gotta... it was the only time, this is the only game that they chose to wear their you know, CCL patches because the MLS don't t- ask me why. They're just crazy for this to me. They, they, they're only allowed to wear their patches for one game in the entire season, right? We see you know, Chelsea getting to wear their Club World Cup basically the entire season, things like this. We should, in the MLS, it was Seattle's first CCL, the first CCL for an MLS team, and they're only allowed to wear that patch one time. Uh, that's ridiculous to me. But if you're going to choose to wear it in your biggest game, in your rivalry match at home, you can't perform that way. Yeah, and they like unfurled the banner and then proceeded to get smacked up by their biggest rival. Yeah, it, it was definitely one that's going to sting for Seattle. And then another historic victory which was Austin going into Atlanta and beating them 3-0. And that was the biggest defeat, the biggest home defeat, rather, in the history of Atlanta United. It absolutely was. And that means that Austin are now 6-0-1 against the Eastern Conference. And we said it earlier this season that we were hoping the East could 
compete and be better than they were last season so that there wasn't this giant gap between the East and the West. You know, that's why New England set those records because they were beating terrible teams in the East last season. And it's seeming to be that way again, as Austin are having no problems traveling to the East coast or, or playing, you know, Eastern conference teams at home either. It's, it's light work for Austin. And in general, the West has been dominating the East so far this season once again. And despite those historic wins, Justin, the biggest game of the week was, of course, El Trafico at the Bank of California Stadium. You know, always a quite a spectacle when these two teams meet. You were there. Talk us through it. Of course, Garrett, our game of the week, uh, two weeks after it happened, we're going to cover it. But it was a really, really good game. It started off maybe a little bit slow. Jose Cifuentes got the first goal in the 17th minute, floating in unmarked, Kellen Acosta corner, uh, just headed it, maybe should have been saved, but it it goes in the back of the net. Uh, And that kind of kicked the game off, right? Galaxy started to take possession. They were, uh, you know, flinging the ball to Grand Seer on the left side when, when they had an outlet. But it was interesting because Galaxy shifted to a 4-4-2. Obviously, they like playing a 4-3-3 normally, but they put, uh, you know, Chicharito and Dan Jovalic up top together, which I liked. It made sense to me. And the reason that you want to do that is that they wanted to outnumber LAFC in the midfield. Um, but that became a problem. And they did it when they were in possession, right? But then they would fling a ball to, to Grand Seer, who would, you know, be high and wide, almost like a left winger. And that would disconnect him when they turned over the ball. And then LAFC on the counterattack, Grand Seer is not in the midfield. He's still up on the left wing as an outlet man. So you're then not uh, outnumbering LAFC. It's now th- back to 3-3 in the midfield. And LAFC's midfield was superior. Jose Cifuentes was absolutely incredible in the game. Um, he g- also got you know another goal in the 70th minute when he floated in uh, for another header, Hollingshead, the, the ball from Vela was for Hollingshead. Hollingshead just missed the header. Cifuentes was right behind him to bury it. Um, that was, of course, after Galaxy had tied the game through Samuel Grandsir. But it, it ended quickly because two minutes after Cifuentes, Arango uh, on the counterattack, again, when, when Galaxy were just not set up, as I was discussing earlier, defensively, uh, Apoku wins the ball straight into Sifu to, to Vela and Vela outside of the boot to Chicho cuts outside of Williams uh, had Kulbali for help, but it didn't matter. Perfect finish from Chicho Arango. And, and it felt like, you know, El Traficos are never done, you know, seven, 20 minutes to go. Uh, even, even a two goal lead was not enough. And Ravella son, he made that clear in the 81st minute when he got a, a beautiful header to make it three, two, and I was just shocked Chiellini was not coming in at this point because he yeah. was, I mean, this is the perfect time for his debut at three, one, or even three, two, you bring him on. Um, but that was not, that was not the plan. And once uh, Ginella was brought on for Cifuentes in the 83rd, all of the subs went to sit down. And so you knew he wasn't coming down, coming back then. I, I'm surprised, but LAFC held on. He strongly wanted to show that he, you know, could do it with his players without bringing the new guys in. Uh, and then, of course, they, they debuted against Nashville, which we'll get to later. But what were your thoughts on this one, Garrett, watching on TV? 
Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, as you said, at 3-1, game's not really over. We've seen the story. We've seen the highlights of Zlatan coming on and what happened after that a few years ago. And obviously, you know, I don't think the Galaxy have anybody like Zlatan at the moment. But LFC deserved to, to win this game, um, and, and they got what they deserved. And it also kind of made me think of the game against New York Red Bulls a, a few weeks uh, before this where, you know, it was the the quick burst of goals, right? Two goals in like three minutes. In this case, two goals in two minutes, which was what put LAFC over the top and how, you know, you guys can score in bunches. And that was ended up what winning this game for LAFC because that Chicho Aranco goal just two minutes after Cifuentes retook the lead is what ended up getting you guys the win because you weren't able to hold on for those last 20 minutes without conceding. I mean, as you said, fantastic header from Ravellison. But yeah, I, I think that bunch potential from LAFC is huge and you need to be able to come up with big goals quickly in succession when teams are reeling, right? Um, and, and so that's huge. And obviously the additions of Bale um, and Chiellini, I think will only help this team, uh, which is a bit scary considering you're already top of the table and the supporter shield standings. But you're right. I, I didn't really understand why Chiellini didn't come in at this point either. Do I think he would have stopped that Revelison header from flying in? I'm not sure. But if you need defensive solidity, you're holding on to a lead and you don't want to bottle it like you did when Zlatan came on that one time, then yeah, I don't I don't know why Trondolo didn't bring him on. And on the topic of finding big goals in big moments and big new additions to the MLS. It is Cucho Hernandez. Uh, Chicago fire were up two nil in the 62nd minute. Cucho Hernandez comes on Derek Etienne scores a minute later to make it two one set in the 75th minute. Then he Derek Etienne ties the game two two, which sets it up perfectly for Cucho Hernandez himself in the 83rd minute to find the winner the savior for Columbus crew. And it was just the start to his week, but hit the ground running in MLS as we both predicted he would. Yep, precisely. And, you know, there were people talking about it, about, oh, Cucho, instant impact, la la. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we said. We knew it was going to happen. Uh, yeah, talk about an impact. And even though he scored the winner in, in, in this game, the second game that he played was even crazier, which is just insane. Like, as we said, amazing signing for Columbus. Will it be enough to turn their entire season around? I mean, it seems like it might because with these two wins, they're right up into the playoff spots now for the first time all season, I believe. Uh, yeah, an incredible signing, as we said, and making that instant impact just as we predicted. Absolutely. And then it was the beginning of the Copa Tejas. Uh, FC Dallas against Houston Dynamo, and there was drama in this one, but it came late. It went 1-1 into stoppage time. Jesus Ferreira got a 90 plus 3, what you thought must be the winner, but it ended up not because there was so much stoppage time that Houston found a, a equalizer through Hadebe in the 90 plus 11. That is just ridiculous. Cervenia then gets sent off 90 plus 13. This game just went on and on because of all the drama. There were so many subs, so many yellow cards, a red card. Everything you would want in a football match was in this game except a winner. Yeah. I mean, these rivalries are great. And I, and I love the fact that MLS now at this point has so many fantastic derbies. 
you know, where we can have this entire week with, you know, three rounds of fixtures and most of them are serious rivalries. And, you know, the Texas, the Copa Tejas, the Texas rivalries are fantastic and has, have produced some amazing games. And, you know, this is insane because I think Jesus Ferreira was sure that he had won this game for SC Dallas and continuing his amazing season. And, but it was not to be Houston just would not go down without a fight. And, and that's a, something that they showed again later in the week. Uh, unfortunately, to my earthquakes' demise last night. I was actually at the game, and, and they fought back from a game that they should have lost and, and actually ended up winning it. So, you know, Houston have some fight, and, and they've got some players, and they've got a shout of, you know, potentially getting towards the playoff race, considering that with the win yesterday, you know, they've moved – only two points behind the playoff spots. Um, you know, Galaxy have a game in hand, but they're two points behind Galaxy and they're four points behind Dallas now who uh, have played the same amount of games. So, you know, they're not going down without a fight and the Western Conference is as interesting as ever. And then another big addition for one of those Texas teams, Hector Herrera made his debut against Austin FC uh, in a game that they lost 3-1, which ended up being the difference in Copa Teas, right? Because Dallas and Houston tied, Austin and Houston tied, but, uh, or sorry, Austin beat Houston, uh, Dallas. And so, so there were, excuse me, but that was the only win, right? The other games were tied. Uh, and so that ended up being the way that Austin FC won the Copa Teas after drawing with uh, Dallas afterwards. But First of all, Garrett, I want to hear your thoughts on Hector Arara because not only his debut, but then you saw him in person later on the in the week, which we'll get to. But also on this idea of the Copa Teas, do you like that this is a trophy and this is like a little cup within the season or do you, are you not in favor of it? I mean, I saw your point on Twitter about, you know, it's not legitimate when you look at the rest of Europe, like there's no silverware handed out for winning derbies and whatnot. But I've always said that I kind of like keeping the authentic American sport kind of ideal within MLS. And, and I don't necessarily think that American traditions and increasing quality of football are two contradictory things and that we can't have them both. Right. And so this is something that you'll see in college football, right. Is the winner of the championship uh, or the winner of, of the rivalry gets a trophy. And I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the greatest thing ever, but I kind of like these things that make MLS unique, like half the teams having actual mascot names as a you know professional NFL or MLB team would, like the Earthquakes, for example. And, and I kind of like stuff like that. So although I see the argument on both sides, you know, it, it, for me, there's pros and there's cons. So I'm not sure if I could pick one side right now. So as we move into the Cali Classico, which you were in attendance for, or no, you were not in attendance for, I apologize, you were in attendance for the Houston game. Um, would you want a Cali Cup? I mean, I'd kind of be down. I feel like it would be cool. Um, uh, you know, and, and I, as I said, I understand the points about, you know, that that, that would be a just another American MLS thing that would kind of make other leagues and other countries meme us. But I, I think it would be cool to have something actually up, up for grabs within the three California teams, you know, who obviously have rivalries with each other, but just having something a little bit extra to solidify your, your bragging rights, if you will, is always cool. And, you know, I'm an example for college football, right? As I said, I love the fact that, 
you know, they have these trophies that go back and forth every year. And it's like, you can brag about, Oh, well, we have the Cali cup this year, la la la. So, I mean, as much as I think, yeah, we might get memed for it. I think it would be fun. Yeah. I just don't understand why a Derby needs more motivation. If you're not up for a Derby, uh, I don't get what a meaningless trophy uh, adds to the occasion, but with that, we can get into the Cali Classico, which was, uh, it lived up to expectations. Again, we know that El Trafico is a great game. Cali Classico usually is as well, Garrett. So walk us through this one. Yeah. I mean, it was a barnstorming start for the Quakes. 13 minutes in, an incredible move. Champagne football. Every single player touched the ball. It ended up getting its way to Benji Kukanovic on the left wing. He was taken down in the box. And Espinosa stepped up and slid home the penalty. And then the Galaxy, you know, did what you just can't do. And they made a horrible mistake just after conceding a really bad giveaway. Jamiro Montero slides it through to Jeremy Abobasi. Really clever disguise, disguise pass. Uh, diagonal pass rather and Abobasi buries it and it's two nil quakes immediately and, and the galaxy you know had chances but JT Marcinkowski was just incredible in this game to be honest um, and then later in the second half after absorbing a lot of pressure the quakes with another fantastic move on the counter it was Marcos Lopez who drove past three defenders slid it into Kukanovic who put it right back through he went around the goalie Lopez did after receiving that pass on the one two and scored from an impossible angle so three nil at halftime life was amazing i was really enjoying myself but the galaxy would not go down without a fight and it was yovelich that guy we've been talking about right needs to be in this galaxy team uh week in week out and he scored just after half uh with a fantastic finish in the 48th minute into the top right corner and then again in the 88th minute with his left foot into the top left corner and you know i was very worried at this point, but the Quakes managed to hold on and get a big three points on the road against our biggest rivals. And it was the first time that we've won consecutive games uh, in Carson. So a historic victory for the Quakes. Yeah. And a very, very tough week for the LA galaxy who lose at the bank of California stadium three, two against their rivals and then lose at home, 3-2 against their other rivals, whichever one you think is bigger. They lost them both 3-2 in the same week. Uh, tough, but as you say, Jovalich is just incredible. I mean, he's you can compare him almost to, to Chicho Arango uh, across the county at LAFC because they're not DPs, but they're performing like DPs. They're scoring. They're outscoring the DPs on the team. Uh, incredible and they just need to be put in the team and the fans back them but there's a little bit of oh sometimes they're not getting in the team or they're not working it hard enough off the ball or, or things that maybe the the coach isn't putting them in the team for but all the fans want them there and then Garrett at the weekend you were in attendance for the earthquakes game because it was at home uh it was against Houston so you got to see Hector Herrera in person uh it was a good game but uh, tell us about the game and tell us about Hector Herrera in person yeah, I mean, it was a really end-to-end game. Not a lot of defending going on, to be honest. The Quakes took the lead at the beginning of the second half in kind of really weird fashion. And we talked about the Kakanovich, you know, FIFA goal a couple of weeks ago against Chicago that I was in person to see. And this was another one where a corner came in. Tommy Thompson with like the tallest looping header. He just really didn't get the contact right, trying to glance it on. But it goes way up in the air and then off the crossbar. And it falls to Jackson Ewell, who just, you know, volleys it in because Houston were kind of napping they did didn't expect that ball to stay in play let alone go off the crossbar and then bounce straight to a Quakes player to tap it in 
Um, but that's how the Quakes took the lead. But then a horrible defensive mistake from Paul Marie uh, and the ball comes to Sebas Ferreira who, who scored to make it one, one. And just moments later, the Quakes broke through Houston's back line brilliantly. Espinosa tapped it across to a Bobasi who had an empty net, but somehow just an incredible clearance on the line from Tim Parker. Uh, and, and I just still don't understand how the ball didn't go in, but also how Ibobisi, you know, kicked it at the only possible place where it wouldn't go in, which was right at Tim Parker's sliding legs. Um, and then just a few minutes later, Houston go down the other end and score thanks to another mistake this time from Remedi, who for some reason thought he had infinite time on his own byline in his own box. And, you know, ball gets picked off of him. He took a touch and was lackadaisical. One pass across, Ulfarsen, sorry, cuts in, deflected strike into the bottom corner, and the Quakes lose 2-1. Uh, it was very frustrating, but in terms of Hector Herrera, I thought he was average. Um, he had a few nice progressive passes, one little back heel that was nice, but he had a huge chance in the second half on his left foot, and he sliced it terribly high and wide, way into the stands um, at PayPal Park. So, you know, I was not that impressed by him and, and definitely not as much as I was by Shakiri a few weeks ago at that Chicago game who, you know, picked up an injury early in the second half. But in that first half, he was running the show despite Chicago failing to score. Um, but yeah, Herrera, I thought was was average, to be honest. Yeah, just looking at these fault mob ratings uh, of this game, Herrera had the second worst rating on the team. Uh, the only person worse was Vera, but to be fair, everyone just had a really, really good rating. Uh, Vera was worse with 6.5, Herrera uh, second worst with seven, seven flat, and everybody else had you know basically seven five and above, uh, which is really, really good. So it shows even probably... on the Quakes. No, no, I'm doing. I'm talking about Houston. Okay, I was, I was gonna say because Paul Marie no. and Rometty both, yeah, they better be no, lower no, than no, that. No, 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 on the winning team, mate. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. fair. They didn't deserve to win, though, and, and you know, in my opinion, we handed them two goals and then somehow didn't score an empty net, and that was, you know, the most frustrating thing was walking out the stadium. It's like, wow, we just, you know, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. And with that, we can move to some other surprising losses, and it was Seattle. They've they lost at Soldier Field one nil, which was just shocking. But it's even more surprising when you think, okay, they just lost 1-0 at home to Nashville. I know Nashville are a good team, but you lose 1-0 at home to Nashville and you think you have to bounce back, especially against a poor team. I know it's away, but Chicago are very, very bad. And you go in and lose 1-0. I thought Seattle would be fine after the CCL. What's happening? I don't know, but what I'll tell you is that Chicago, you know, really bounced back since crumbling against Columbus right and letting Chicho score that winner but they went and beat Toronto 2-0 and and then they beat they win this game against the CCL champions Toronto so, no yeah good. I mean okay fair but still Chicago getting back-to-back -back wins uh you know one on the road and and then beating you know what is considered one of the best teams in the league literally won the CCL and it's not like Seattle played a, a weak lineup right Lodero Roldan Ruznak Jordan Morris all starting in this game um, so yeah, I, I don't know, but questions need to be asked of Seattle because the bounce back has happened a bit, but you know, not as much as we would think. And they're sitting there in ninth and you know, them missing the playoffs is still definitely a possibility. Yeah. I think that West is just so tight all the way from yeah. uh, third down to basically that basically the bottom. I mean, 
all the way down to, yeah. to you know, Colorado even. Um, it's just super, super tight within within 10 points from third to to 12th. That's that's a bit ridiculous, honestly. Uh, so so anything can change. I, Seattle's still going to make the playoffs for sure, in my opinion. It's just, I would have thought they'd be at the top of those playoffs, even after their slow start. Now we're mid-season. They're still not in the playoff picture. I'm thinking maybe they won't get as high a seed as, as we would have expected. Who do you think drops out then in, in replace of Seattle? Ah, it's a good question. I think I would have told you RSL earlier, but RSL continue to, to keep pace mm-hmm. almost, but you know, mm-hmm. it's so tight. It's so tight. Anybody could RSL could Minnesota. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, Dallas. I, I kind of thought, I kind of thought RSL would Dallas would be flipped right now with Dallas holding on in that third spot and RSL, maybe the one slipping. So perhaps Dallas slip out of it, but you just kind of don't think of them that way. Uh, Galaxy certainly could slip out of it. I mean, yeah. they're they're on yeah. they're in a skid right now. So, but they got to turn that around as well. So we'll see. I mean, Greg Vanny's a good coach. I don't think he's just going to let them skid like this. But uh, I can't remember who it was. One of their uh, one of their players after the game gave an interview, and he was very forthright in in that people were not buying in, and they were just doing whatever they wanted uh, and kind of playing however they wanted without. Uh, following the system and the directions that the coaches gave. I believe it was Derek Williams, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, it was incredible, poignant interview. Yeah. And then, you know, we talked about how they lost their two rivalry games. They then went to Colorado and lost two nil. So just a horrible, horrible week for the galaxy, but it was quite the opposite for the other side of Los Angeles or Los Angeles County, if you will, because Justin, uh, we talked about how Keelini didn't make his debut in El Trafico like we thought he should, but he did against Nashville, and so did Gareth Bale, of course. Uh, tell me about how you were feeling seeing them. Uh, well, obviously, Keelini start, and then, and then Bale come off the bench. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was, I mean, just to see them on the pitch in LAFC kits was Honestly, it, just, it, it almost still doesn't feel real. I need to see it in person before it's going to feel a full, fully real. But no, it is ridiculous. Giorgio Chiellini, he started off a little bit slow in the first 15 minutes. He was finding his feet. He had a couple matchups against one against uh, Sapong, one against Mukhtar, one against Zimmerman, just one-on-ones in the first 15 minutes. He, he didn't win any of those one-on-ones, but he he knew that was going to happen. Uh, he said in his post-game interview that he was in the first 15 minutes, he was just trying to tell himself, go quiet, go slowly, be careful. Don't, don't overdo yourself uh, and trying to find your footing. Cause he hasn't played in two months. Obviously this is his preseason. Really? Uh, he's just being thrown into, into regular season action, obviously. So uh, he was a little bit slow, but after that first 15 minutes, he found his footing. He started making tackles. He was uh, very obviously a huge leader on the pitch. He probably set an LAFC record for high fives within 60 minutes. It was, <laughs> uh, it was a very solid performance after those first 15 minutes from him uh, all around. Yeah. He's a little bit slow. Sure. He can't jump as high, but I think we all knew these things coming in. Uh, he had a very, very solid performance and one that Steve Trundle, uh head coach in his post-game interview called mistake free game. So pretty, pretty good there. As far as Gareth Bale, he came on in the 72nd minute uh, for Chicharango, and it was a quality performance from, from minute one. I mean, his first two touches in LEFC shirt were absolutely unbelievable. One was uh, an aerial flick one time to Carlos Vela into his feet, and then he the Vela 
dropped it to Sifu, who gave it right back to Bale, and Bale immediately back heel around Lovitz to, to send Sifu down the line. It was uh, a highlight, to say the least. It's go- making its rounds on social media immediately because he's just here to put on a show. And if you're not, as, as I tweeted, if you're not excited about this man in MLS, you are not an MLS fan because this is absolutely, as Garrett said, as you said, right, the best signing in MLS history. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously he still has a lot to do in order to justify me saying that a few months ago, but with the level that I believe he still is at, he still is at. Yeah. He he's going to be insane down the stretch. And especially I think next year um, when he has a full preseason and whatnot, but you know, his motivation is very high right now because of the world cup, of course. So yeah, I mean, super exciting times for you guys and hopefully he'll make his full debut very soon. Um, and then Justin, we are coming up on the all-star game, right. Which will be going on, you know, a little bit later, uh, I guess at the beginning of next month, but the, the squad was announced. Um, and I think there weren't too many surprises, a few snubs here and there. Uh, personally, I, I think that it was a little bit of a popularity contest. Like it kind of reminded me of an NBA all-star game where, you know, there's players who are in here more for their name than, what they actually have done so far this season. So uh, what are your thoughts on, on that take? Well, I think that's always going to be partly the case, right? But there's, but only, you know, 12 of the players are picked from a popularity from fan vote, right? The rest are picked from uh, the coach and commissioner's pick. So, uh, but we can go through the, I'll just name off the, the team real quick for anybody who doesn't know. And I'd love to hear who you thought, uh, shouldn't be on the team, maybe uh, somebody who, who shouldn't have made it, and then maybe somebody who uh, got snubbed. But starting with the goalkeepers, Andrew Andre Blake from the Union, Sean Johnson, Dane St. Clair, uh, and then in the back we have Walker Zimmerman, DeAndre Yedlin, Kai Wagner, Diego Palacios, Kamal Miller, Aaron Long, Alexander Kayans, and Julian Araujo. Then in the midfield, Elias Sanchez, Emmanuel Reynoso, Darlington Nagby, Hani Mukhtar, Carlos Hill, Sebastian Giussi, and Luciano Costa. Then up top, we had Carlos Vela, Raul Ruiz Diaz, Jordan Morris, Chicharito, Fontos, and Jesus Freda, as well as Castellanos and Paul Ariola. So a, a pretty big squad there to take on Liga Mekis. Uh, but but any snubs there that you think should have gotten in? And, and who in that team, Garrett, were you thinking maybe shouldn't have gotten in? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with my slightly biased snub, which is, of course, Jeremy Abobasi, because he's playing for a garbage team and has scored 11 goals so far this year. And I just don't see how he doesn't make it in here when, you know, he's literally scored as many goals as Jordan Morris and Raul Rui Diaz combined, right? And, you know, Rui Diaz is an amazing player, and I'm not going to stand here and say Abobasi is better than Rui Diaz, but has Abobasi done a lot more the first half of this season than Rui Diaz has? Absolutely. And the same goes for Jordan Moore. So Abobasi is a huge snub in my mind. And I also think, you know, you could say Talos Magno from New York City uh, has is a big snub. I think he's been spectacular this season. Um, and then Brandon By playing fullback um, at, at New England. His stats are just insane uh, and, I, and I don't quite get why he didn't make it um, on, on this list either. Um, so those are kind of my, my two or my three biggest snubs. Yeah, I think I would have taken Brandon by probably for DeAndre Yedlin. I would have taken yep. uh, certainly a Bobasi. I mean, you say it's biased, but I don't see it as biased. I mean, 
there's no way that Abobasi shouldn't be in this all-star team. He is competing for the golden boot right now on one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, Jordan Morris, I, I don't know how he makes this team. Raul Diaz, he, he's very, very good to me. Obviously, he's uh, arguably the best striker in the league. He's very, very good. Uh, he's had a little injury, so maybe that's why he's not quite as many goals as Abobasi, but certainly deserves to make the team, in my opinion. Um, the, the one that really stood out to me, though, when I, when I saw the, the uh, roster come out was Darlington Nagby. Uh, I just don't know how this guy's on the team. I mean, was he, he must have just – Yeah, but how? Like, that's such a weird coach's pick to me. I, I don't get it. And to me, it's more of a problem of how the voting was set up and not just the voting, but, you know, the, the, the picking of the roster, because it was set up in the midfield with one six, one defensive midfielder and two tens, two attacking midfielders. It wasn't set up in a six, eight, 10. It was set up with a six and two tens. I don't understand that at all. Uh, it should have been six, eight, 10. And if it is Nagby doesn't make it. And my bias probably pick Jose Cifuentes does make it into the all-star team because he is a true eight. Yeah. And so yeah. he's getting, he's getting snubbed because he's not a 10. He's not a six. So he's not going to beat out the likes of Carlos Hill and Sebastian Driussi for a 10 spot, but he is not going to either beat out, you know, Ilya Sanchez or even Darlington Nagby for a six spot because he's not a six. Yeah, and, you know, in terms of Nagby, right, this is the first time he's been an MLS All-Star since 2016. And, you know, this isn't even, hasn't even been his best season for the crew, right? Like 2020, his first year there, they went and won MLS Cup, and he was a huge part of that. And obviously, you know, you don't pick the All-Star uh, team after the season's over, like you do in, say, the Pro Bowl or something. But, yeah, I don't really get his inclusion either. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, I think C. Fuentes, and I, I tweeted this out because I thought it was funny, you know, scored twice in El Trafico, has been incredible recently for LAFC, and then just gets his numbers stripped from him. But, you know, obviously it turns out that he, you know, gave it up. He was very willing um, as a gesture to kind of his commitment to the team and the club. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. He's been fantastic, and he should have made this squad as well. Yeah, as you say, got his numbers stripped and then got robbed of an all-star spot within a week. And with that, we've covered the 39 games in MLS that have occurred since we last had an episode and all of these all-star news as well. There's been a bunch of MLS news, and it didn't stop with the games or the all-star because there have been a ton of transfers in the MLS. I think this is by far the most MLS transfers we've ever talked about in an episode. And it starts not even with a player. It starts with a manager. Wayne Rooney to D back to DC United. He, he came as a player, right? And then he went back to Derby, played there for a season. Then he became manager there, did very well, but obviously club issues. And now he's returned to DC United. What are your thoughts on this, Garrett? I think it's really good for DC, to be honest. I, th I think, honestly, I'm surprised that Rooney would come back to MLS after, in my mind, what was a very successful stint at Derby, where, you know, obviously they got relegated, but it wasn't his fault, right? Like they had an insane amount of squad turnover and they couldn't spend any money and administration and a points deduction and this or that. And I think Rooney is a really good manager. 
Um, and so I was kind of surprised to see that he was willing to come back to MLS. I thought he would try, you know, maybe getting a higher level championship job and then maybe coming to the Prem. But, you know, from a DC perspective, this is fantastic because I think he'll do a good job and they desperately need it at the moment, right? Sitting rock bottom of the East and rock bottom subsequently of the entire league. Um, you know, they have only played 19 games, but still it's been a horrible season for them. As we talked about, just tied the record for the worst defeat in MLS history. Uh, and, you know, they haven't been doing much better since then, um, losing to Minnesota, barely getting a draw against Columbus, you know, rescuing a point late in, in that game. So I, I think it's going to take a lot of doing for him to turn uh, this team around. And I don't think he'll do it this season. But overall, I think it's a really outstanding hire for D.C. Yeah, I think absolutely no debate on that. I think the question is about Rooney. And as you say, it's a little bit surprising. Maybe he decided to come to MLS, but the way I think about it, maybe he's looking a little bit to, more to be a Patrick Vieira type and less of a Frank Lampard type, right? He, he right. wants to progress there as, as Vieira did from New York city, went to Nice, and then he made his way into the premier league uh, and he's, he's doing well, right? Lampard maybe rushed it a little bit into a top club and got sacked. And now he's, he's at Everton, which is still, you know, big club, obviously. Uh, and not to say he isn't doing well there so far, but he, he did rush it a little bit more just comparing, you know, Premier League legends becoming yeah. uh, uh, managers. But DC, but Rooney is doing business at DC already. He's brought in Ravel Morrison uh, from Derby, you know, bringing him uh, to the club. I believe that's his 14th different team Ravel Morrison has played for in his career. So uh, definitely a traveler. And then also brought in Miguel Berry uh, from Columbus Crew for 225000 plus incentives so not too expensive I, I think I don't know a ton about Ravel Morrison I think what I do know he, he it's a good signing um and Miguel Berry I have watched him in MLS I think it's uh very good obviously Cucho coming in and the the attack in Columbus getting a little bit full they got to ship somebody off Miguel Berry happens to be the guy I think it's a good pickup for DC yeah I don't know exactly how I feel about the Ravel Morrison signing I mean he's just a player who's been a nomad his entire career going everywhere it seems and has really failed to find a home or, or, or make any of these spells he's had these clubs stick other than playing under ruby at uh, under rooney at derby rather and you know he did all right played 36 games scored four goals um and it's a player that rooney has experience with at, at least but i guess on a free uh it, it's not too much of, of a risk but you know i, I don't really know if he's going to have much of an impact if i'm being honest yeah i think it's just the the former relationship and as you say he did well under rooney so maybe that can happen again uh but then it was the the absolute steal of the season in my opinion and one of the most ridiculous signings i i've ever seen or trades within mls it is alejandro pozuelo to enter miami for 150,000 gam that is just nothing to sign a DP for, and a very good DP, somebody who is, you know, one of the best players in MLS. He's so fun to watch, um, but it had to be done, right? Because Bernadeschi is coming into Toronto on a free and is getting that DP slot. He was just announced, I believe, today officially. Uh, so this is what happens when you put yourself in a spot like Toronto did. They had to find, open up a DP slot, and so they get basically nothing for Alejandro Pozuelo. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, this is literally a guy who was the MVP of the league two years ago. 
right? He is an incredible player. And the fact that they just sold him for like less than 10% of what they bought him for, it's horrific business, in my opinion, from Toronto. And, you know, they needed to change some things because they're not having a great season. Um, But, you know, this is a fleece of a transfer, especially from Miami's perspective. You know, they just paid a minimal fee for literally the MVP two years ago, like incredible signing for Miami. Um, And, you know, they needed a a spark to try to turn their season around. And they're now, you know, knocking on the door of the playoff race in the East. So, uh, yeah, huge, huge get for Phil Neville and company. And that wasn't the only business Toronto FC were doing either. They've been very, very busy. They agreed a blockbuster deal for Mark Anthony Kay to reunite him with his former manager, Bob Bradley, uh, in Toronto. They got him from the Rapids, but they gave up Ralph Preso about a million dollars in GAM, a 2023 international spot, and a first-round super draft pick. I mean, just throw the house at him then, right? I mean, they literally paid like 10 times more in value for Mark Anthony K than they sold Pozuelo for. That is just comical. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. It, it is ridiculous. And then another big money transfer within MLS, it was Julian Gressel from DC. We talked about them earlier to Vancouver uh, for 600,000 plus 300,000 in incentives. So, almost reaching a million there potentially uh, for Julian Gressel, one of the best, you know, outside wing backs in, in the league. Um, but it was one of the more interesting transfers, not just because he's a big player moving, but because of a quote that he gave on his podcast afterwards. He said, I don't like the way it happened. I was completely kept in the dark. I got told I'm not a DC United player anymore while wearing their training clothes. I really hope no other player has to feel that. It's not fun. It's pretty shitty. What are your thoughts on this, Garrett? Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's tough. And, and I feel like, you know, he moved to DC a few years ago and they haven't really been in contention, um, which is unfortunate because I think he's a really quality player. As you said, one of the best in his position in the league. Um, and, you know, he was so, so good for Atlanta and such a integral part of, of the success that they had. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it sucks. He doesn't deserve to be treated that way. And Vancouver, you know, a great player. But again, he's moving to another team that just isn't really in contention for for any real accomplishment within this league. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we talked about it earlier. Technic- I mean, they're still in the race, right? They're on the same number of points as Seattle. Obviously, they played one more game. But it's just we don't see them in the same light as we do see Seattle, right? Um, but another big one, which it, it honestly looked small in the scheme of things this week, but it's not a small move. Sergio Santos from Philadelphia to Cin- FC Cincinnati. He's a very, very good uh, winger, but... It, the the deal was a little bit weird to me. Three hundred thousand dollars plus a potential seven hundred thousand in incentives. We rarely see uh, deals so heavily weighted in incentives like that, right? Obviously, this means if he performs really well for FC Cincinnati, that money goes way up. But if he doesn't, it's going to stay closer to that three hundred thousand. So, I mean, do you like deals like this, Garrett? I mean, I think from a Cincinnati perspective, I like it, right? You know, he's going to have to play well in order for them to pay what 
he's probably worth, right? Philadelphia, I'm not quite sure why they'd agree to this structure of deal um, unless they have a lot of faith in him meeting those incentives. But if you have that much faith in him, why would you sell him in the first place? So I, I think it's a good deal from Cincinnati, but the reason that we don't see this kind of structure is that it doesn't really make sense from the selling club's perspective. It's a good point. It's a good point. I have to agree with you there. And then we got a USMNT player who it's not officially confirmed yet. There's not a report that says hundred percent it's happening, but it looks very, very likely at this point, according to Tom Bogart, who is as reliable as it gets in you know, MLS, he said that Orlando City is finalizing the acquisition of U.S. men's national team forward Nico Giochini from SM Kine in, uh, you know, League 2. So Kine will retain a, a percentage of the sell-on, but it is a free transfer to Orlando City. I mean, this is just great, not only for Orlando City, but I think it's a really good move for Giochini uh, as far as the men's national team, right? He has eight appearances with the U.S. men's national team, but he wants to make that a lot more. And I mean, a long shot to make the World Cup, obviously. But in his mind, obviously, that's the goal. So I think Greg Berhalter, he's going to get a lot more focus from Greg Berhalter in the MLS than he would in League the Whether he should or not, that's a whole different argument. But Greg Berhalter, we know, has this MLS bias. So he's going to get a lot more focus from Greg. Uh, you know, if he's able to perform in the MLS, maybe he gets that more, more call-ups with the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I, I think that's the main reason that he would want to make this move. Um, and, you know, Orlando are, are, are a decent team, right? Sitting in fifth, they'll be in contention. It, it's a team where he can go in and make an impact and he won't, you know, have to sit on the bottom of the table like Julian Gressel will in Vancouver, unfortunately. And so, yeah, it's a big deal. But, Justin, we don't know where this deal will end up going, but the biggest deal, you know, potentially in the league this year is the fact that Tati Castellanos seems to be on his way out of NYCFC after his most recent appearance. You know, he was hugging uh, his teammates and whatnot after they beat New York Red Bulls, but the way he hugged his manager and applauded the fans, it was almost as if he was saying goodbye. So this would just be a hammer blow for NYCFC. The reigning champions already lost their manager, now about to lose undoubtedly their best player and the former Golden Boot winner, the reigning Golden Boot winner. I mean, man, where do you think he might go? Well, yeah, absolutely. As you say, he's just he's been the best striker in the league since he came into the league, hasn't he? 108 yeah. matches, 50 goals, 19 assists, a Golden Boot, won an MLS Cup over four seasons. Uh, he has been absolutely incredible. Uh, as far as where he's going, it looks like it's going to be Girona. Um, obviously, a, a team that just got promoted to La Liga. It is a team owned by City Football Group. So it looks like New York City will sell to the City footy, Football Group who will loan him uh, out to Girona. And then maybe he gets, you know, we'll, we'll see where he goes from there, whether he succeeds and does really well there or not. Um but yeah, it seems like he's going to be put into the CFG system, that city football group system owned by Manchester City uh, and, and loaned out to their teams. Uh, and, and, you know, this is something that we've discussed a lot on Twitter and between us as well. Is this a good system that, that we allow companies like CFG who are, you know, Manchester City is one of the biggest clubs in the world at this point, and they own a whole list of teams throughout the world and throughout Europe. It's to me, I, I'm not a fan of it. I think it's a, an unfair advantage. I think it 
creates a bigger gap between the ultra rich and the rest because nobody else can afford to just buy other clubs besides the ultra rich. And it essentially becomes multiple professional academies for the, the club. And I know people will say, oh, well, what players have gone from one of their teams straight into the Manchester city first team. And, and it's not just about that, right? It's about moving within and not only that, but the money that it, it generates the, the sales that it generates. I'm a Manchester city fan and I'm against this. I, I don't think it's fair that Red Bull do it either. Uh, I think oh. it should be outlawed in football completely. I think you should own max one, maybe two teams. Um, and I just think it's creating a larger gap. It's a super league idea of just creating a bigger gap between the ultra rich and the rest. Yeah. And I think the Red Bulls is, a, is another great example, right? With the host of clubs they own where they took, you know, for example, Tyler Adams brought him into uh, obviously played at Red Bulls and then brought him to Leipzig and they sold him to Leeds. And then Brendan Aronson, they snapped him up from Philadelphia, put him in the Salzburg system and then sold him to Leeds. So they've just generated a huge amount of profit, right? Based on the fact that they were able to acquire this talent on the cheap from clubs, you know, within their own system, right? So I, I agree. I, I think from a financial perspective, although, you know, directly on the pitch, you might not think, oh, this player came from within the system. That's not fair. But they sell these players for a profit and use that money to buy the players that you see out there winning Premier Leagues on the pitch, right? So I think you have a really, really good argument. And the fact that you're making that argument as a City fan kind of shows the weight of, of why we need to figure out a better solution or, you know, I guess the solution would probably be outlying this. Um, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, we even see it with the loan system, right? The the FA is currently cracking down on the loan system because that Chelsea just, we know that they do this loan carousel thing and they generate a ton of money out of it. City yep. are starting to follow the same idea. Um, and it's it's just unfair to the other teams because it's it just makes the gap even bigger. And we know that it's already unfair uh, because they already are richer and can spend more money on better players. Don't make it even more unfair. And then the other connection between uh, MLS and the Premier League, it's a big move. Darren Eels, who is the CEO of Atlanta United, obviously, uh, you know, since their inception, they've been in the league a few years now. They won an MLS Cup only a couple years in. Uh, he's done a fantastic job for the most part for Atlanta. And obviously, not everything has gone uh, to plan, but he is now going to move from being the CEO at Atlanta United to being the CEO at the new richest club in the world, Newcastle United. Yeah, I mean, it's a really intriguing move and Newcastle are really building the groundworks for, you know, when they decide to finally, okay, make the big splash and try to make a significant step up, which, you know, obviously they're making good signings, but it seems like they're being shrewd with what they're doing and they have a plan, unlike <clears throat> Everton, but... Um, yeah, I think it's a really good appointment for them. Um, and his recruitment and, and everything that's been going on under, under him in Atlanta has been spot on, obviously a little bit less so over the last few years. But when you look at what he was able to assemble with that Atlanta team in such a short period of time, as you said, MLS Cup, they also won a U.S. Open Cup. Um, and, and then the funny connection is he was very heavily involved in the deal that sent Almiron from Atlanta to Newcastle. And now he's following Almiron there. So, yeah, overall, I think from Newcastle, it's, it's a smart piece of business that will probably go under the radar. Yeah, 
You're absolutely right. Uh, and then we can start moving into the European transfers. And there was a blockbuster, a shocking one to me uh, earlier today, or was it yesterday? Paulo Dybala on a free to AS Roma. He's going to play under Jose Mourinho. Mourinho was obviously a key piece to convincing him. He stays within Italy. Is this a good move for Dybala, though? It's... Oof. That's a tough question. You know, if you had said, is this a good move for Roma? I think we all know what the answer to that question is. But maybe, well, I, didn't I mean, ask I think, it. yeah, 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 I'm aware. I, I think it might be. I mean, Mourinho's building something. They just won silverware. Um, Serie A is, is, for the most part, an open book. Like, you know, we saw AC Milan kind of come out of nowhere and win the title this year uh, over Inter. And, you know, it's not like they're the greatest team on earth, right? Got knocked out of like the Champions League group stage. Um, uh, they didn't get, get through it. And so, you know, if they're assembling these moves, I don't see a reason why they couldn't be competing, you know, at least for top four in Serie A, but you know, they could make a title charge with kind of the players that they've assembled, especially if they have Zaniolo healthy for a season. Cause I think he's a fantastic player. Um, and, and Mourinho will be so glad to have him back. So Dybala, I, I mean, the, the contract must be, pretty rich, right? Must be pretty good to get him to go there. We all thought he was going to go to Inter or, you know, somewhere that's already in the Champions League, but I guess he's willing to join this project and he's willing to go play for one of the greatest managers of all time. So, you know, that's the Mourinho pull for you. Yep. You're, you're absolutely right, Garrett. And, and I would think that they would be ready to compete for a title, but Juve have gotten so much better. Inter have gotten so much better after just getting pipped to the title, right? They, they got Lukaku back. Um, and Milan are still going to be good. So I think that Roma have definitely increased so that they can get that Champions League spot, but then it's it's like the other teams uh, that, are, that are title level compete, boosted up a little bit more, so it might be hard to catch them. I don't know, though. I think Serie A will be interesting, uh, and I also think I, I like seeing these good players, whether they stay in Serie A like Paolo Diabala or return to, to Serie A like Paul Pogba and, and Lukaku, I think it's great to see the top players going back to that league because it was always once a top league and it kind of fell off a little bit. And now it's, it to me, is trying to compete again to be the second best league uh, in Europe. Obviously, right now it's still a Liga, but with, the more players they can bring in, they can, they can make that charge. And then, Justin, we already talked about one U.S. men's national team player on the move. There was another, Luca De La Torre. Obviously, we talked a few weeks ago about where we might uh, see him going. And we said Germany, but he is going to Spain to play for Celta de Vigo. Uh, just over a $2 million fee for, you know, a mid-table La Liga club. What do you think about this move for his development and his chances of breaking into the U.S. as starting eleven? I absolutely love this, Garrett. I really, really do. I think he doesn't go with a big price tag, so there's not too much pressure, but he's going to a mid-table side in which he'll be able to you know, show his quality. He's not just going to be sitting back at a low block where he's a, mid, he's, he's a midfielder, an eight, but a creative eight, you know what I mean, that uh, wants to push forward and show his uh, vision and talent. I think if he were going to a lower uh, table team, that would be problematic for him. But that, as you said, this is a mid-table club. And so he should be able to uh, get minutes and show his, his quality. And I think in Spain as well, 
we, we did talk about Germany. I think Germany would have provided him a lot of space, but Spain, they play beautiful football and it's a lot about creativity uh, and finding you no know, gaps. And so I think he, he fits that very, very well. And it will uh, make a good highlight reel for him to try and get into that world cup squad. And yeah, we, we picked the right profile of club, right? Mid table where he, where he can do exactly what you just said. We just, you know, had the, the wrong country slightly, but I still think we were pretty spot on and on what the best spot for him would be. And it seems like this is going to be a really good deal for him and for Celta de Vigo. And then another USMNT player on the move, of course, Gaga Slonina, who I got to watch play uh, just a few weeks ago will be moving to Chelsea after, you know, there was this whole speculation of, is he going to Real Madrid? Is he going to Chelsea? But they have reached an agreement with Chicago, have Chelsea uh, for about 10 million pounds. He will remain uh, with Chicago on loan for the rest of the MLS season. Um, what do you think about this move for, for his development? Yeah, I don't like it nearly as much. Yep. I don't think that it's good to go as we were just discussing the Chelsea loan carousel that he's just going to be thrown into the Chelsea loan carousel. And maybe he goes to a good club. Maybe he doesn't, but it's way less up to him than it would be if he was deciding his next transfer. I get that you, the the draw of Chelsea is, is has a huge allure, but it's not worth sacrificing this development. He's so young. And I just, I wish he went to a team where he knew he would be starting every week and we knew that that it would be quality for his development we just don't know what's going to happen from here yeah and it's like even if Chelsea managed to get rid of Kepa and and Gaga could become their backup you know we don't need another backup in the Premier League we have enough as it is right so I agree it's far off from that though well yeah I mean obviously but um with more time you know say he gets you know obviously staying at Chicago for the rest of the year and then gets another loan and then in a few years time he could end up being there but is that really what's best for his development is you know praying that he ends up being Chelsea's backup goalie he should have higher aims than that but you know also being realistic he's not replacing Edward Mendy anytime soon so I agree I don't like this move um, from, from his perspective and then the last USMT player we'll talk about Chris Richards who I didn't think we were going to talk about him in this episode and the news broke this morning that he has verbally agreed to join Palace. It's just the contracts need to be done. Now, obviously, that's not a, a simple thing to the contracts, but he's verbally agreed to go to Palace. It's we've known that you know Leeds have been interested, uh, teams in Germany have been interested, including uh, his former club Hoffenheim. So he's had a lot, a lot of offers. But it seems Palace is going to be the spot. And is is this the good spot for his development, Garrett? I think it is. Uh, And we talked about this in the past because there were rumors about this, but I I like what Palace are building. And I I think Chris Richards could really fit into that. Um, You know, they have a very solid defense already. Don't get me wrong. Last year, their expected goals allowed number was spectacular. You know, 1.0, the same as Liverpool. Um, And I think Mark Gahey is a a good center back. Um, And, you know, is Anderson the greatest? I don't know. I think I could see Chris Richards replacing him. And I think a, a back line, although it is young, but a, a partnership of Gahey and Richards would be really, really good for Palace. And I think there must have been some assurance of, of you know, what Vieira 
wants to do with Chris Richards. So overall, I think, again, it's a mid table club where he can play, he can express himself, you know, obviously not quite the same play style as LDLT in that sense, but it's a place where he won't be under huge amounts of pressure can develop will be getting first team minutes under a fantastic manager uh, in a really good club environment. And it's a club on the up. So overall, yeah, I think it's a good move for Chris Richards. And this is a harder question, Garrett, but how much do you think Palace are going to have to pay Bayern? Right. Because as we're, as I just said, the, the, the verbal agreement is with Palace. They're, they're going to get that contract over the line, but they have to find uh, the agreement with Bayern, which, it looks like will happen. You know, Bayern are willing to have that happen, but how much do you think they're going to have to pay? It, it's a really good question, right? I mean, young players, the, the market is high. Um, I mean, I'd say probably if, if they pay more than like 10 million pounds, that might be a bit of an overspend. Um, transfer market has him valued at, you know, around $8 million. So obviously I, th- I think he'll go for more than that, but I don't think Palace should be investing too heavily in this one. He probably will not be a player coming directly into their starting 11. Yeah, I think around that 10 million mark uh, is probably accurate. I wouldn't be surprised by 10 or 12, but if it goes to 15, I'll think that's a little bit much. Um, But yeah, if they could get it under 10, I think that would be a a steal probably. Um, But speaking of uh, big money moves, because that one wouldn't be, but this is a big money move, and it is Rafinha to Barcelona for 58 million euros, up to 67 uh, with add-ons. The contract until June 2027, they just have a stacked front three now, uh, and they added another guy after, which we'll talk about next. But first, Rafinha, is this the right spot for Rafinha? We know that he has wanted to go to Barcelona. He's had his heart set on Barcelona, he his his idol is Ronaldinho. He wore the R necklace uh, similarly to how Ronaldinho did in his Barca, uh, you know, unveiling. So, is this good for Rafinha? Is is this the right spot? And is it good for Barca to spend that much money on, on this young twenty five year old? Well, I think for Rafinha, it's a good move. Yeah. I mean, especially with the club that he loves and he gets to go play at one of the biggest clubs in the world and one of the greatest stadiums in the world. Yeah. For Rafinha, it's a good move. And, and you know, it's he's going to get to play in the Champions League, et cetera, et cetera. And I do think he'll be an important player for Barcelona. But from a Barcelona perspective, this is a lot of money to spend on a position that, you know, I, I don't really think is that dire of a need. Obviously, they can improve in many places because they are just nowhere near what they used to be at the moment, but they have a lot of other issues uh, that they need to sort out. I think particularly at the back, Jordi Alba is not getting any younger. I think Julian Araujo is really the only decent center back that they have at the moment. Um, Yet they're splashing out on the front line. And as you said, the next player who they went and got is Robert Lewandowski, which is like an incredible signing. Don't get me wrong. He's going to be amazing. But it just now looks like a very top-heavy squad to me because they have all these talented attackers, Lewandowski, Rafinha, Aubameyang, Ansu Fati, Memphis Depay, et cetera, et cetera, yet they lack so much depth in other areas of the pitch. So, you know, before we go in-depth more about Lewandowski, I think overall Barca spent a lot of money on a position that I'm just not sure they should be spending an amount of money on. Yeah, I mean, they already have Dembele. They already have Fatih. Right, they that too. Have... Just extended him, right? Yeah, they, they just extended Nabele, as you say. They already have 
uh, Ferran Torres, who I know hasn't been great since he arrived, but he they spent a lot of money on him. Um, they are hoarding wingers. They are. I think they're going to let Depay go somewhere, but yeah. still, still, it's a lot of wingers. You're right. I get that if you want to be a top team, and this is what I was talking about on, on our spaces, which if you're interested in Twitter spaces, I invite you to go follow us on Twitter. We host them throughout the week. Um, but we're talking about how Barcelona are not accepting a rebuild and rather they're throwing all their chips at the, in the basket, right? They're, they're trying to invest all the money that they can. They've sold their TV rights for 25 years just so that they can have 200 million to go spend and try and invest in the squad. But they're doing that with the idea of going to compete immediately this season. They have to go compete for La Liga this season. They have to go and make the knockout stages of the Champions League and you know be back to what we think of Barcelona. But that's so dangerous when they could just accept a rebuild and invest in their youngsters. They have a ton of youngsters. Gavi, Pedri, Fati, uh, Ricky Puig, who everybody forgets about. I mean, they have a ton of players that are young and they have still arguably the best academy in the world. If they just accepted it, it would be such a, less of a risk uh, for their future. But if this doesn't go well, their future is just going down and down. Whereas if they accept the rebuild, yes, it, it, there's a little dip, but we know that they would be, they would be okay. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's high risk. But with the signing of Lewandowski, who we can talk about now, to me, I just don't see how they wouldn't be successful this season. Um, obviously, as I said, they need de defensive reinforcements, but obviously spending money is not a problem for them. But when you look at the talent that they have in this team, including those uh, academy players, and I think Pedri is just an incredible player. And, and if he can stay healthy, I mean, it's just you look at the front six of this team and it's frightening, especially with the depth that they have. So I think they will be competing for La Liga personally, uh, um, especially when they just signed, you know, like the second best striker in the world, in my opinion, who doesn't really show signs of slowing down. And I don't think that he's going to have any problem getting off the mark early and scoring a bucket load of goals for this club. Are you saying Benzema's first? Yeah, that would be my number one at the moment. Yeesh. Okay. I mean, what do you mean? That's He's about whole, to win the ball and door. He's literally been the best player in the world recently. That, that's yeah, a whole nother Benzema's number one. You're what? You want to say Holland? No. No, I don't. No, I don't. Who, who are you putting number one? Mbappe? You, you know, you, who do I rate above anybody? Harry, you're still saying Harry Kane's number one. Harry Kane is still the best striker oh, in the world. God. Oh, dear God. He's still the best striker in the world. No. Has, has no. Benzema had a better season? Above Benzema. Absolutely. Has Benzema had a better season? Absolutely. But can Benzema drop deep and connect passes and assist yes. the way Harry Kane can? Yes. Nope. Nope. Not, not quite. Not ben quite. Benzema is the best player in the you, world right but, now. Not even strike. He is the best player in the world right now. Benzema's fantastic. I, I won't even argue with you about one versus two there, but I will argue with you about Lewandowski. Lewandowski is not better than Harry Kane. Her, Lewandowski is a penalty box merchant. He is a finisher. And that is great. And it, it's going to be helpful for Barcelona. The problem is 45 to 50 million euros for a 33-year-old on a yep. four-year contract. Yeah, That means he is up until he is 37 years old. He is going to be playing in a Barcelona shirt. And it's just such a big investment. I know Lewandowski is good, and I think he will be good this season. But is he going to be good at 36, 37? I don't know. You, I don't know if he's going to be starting at Barcelona, if he's going to be that – 
you know, the guy to, to carry them in the Champions League because, as I said, they have to be returning to top club in the world. They have to be one of the best in the world and return to what everybody thinks of Barcelona as. And I, their front three shows it. I don't know about any uh, – their midfield is very young. It's very good. I understand that. Their back line can't do it right now, and their midfield is just too young to, to, to have a ton of faith in them being able to you know, carry them in, in the Champions League. And, especially and, if they lose to Young, right? Especially if they use, yeah, yeah, because then exactly right. That, that, yeah, it's a good point because I'm just kind of assuming he's gone. But right now they have uh, two 25 year olds and a teenager. But if they have, if they lose De Young, then they have a 25 year old and two teenagers, right? Big difference there. Yeah, and, and I get that. I'm not really concerned about Lewandowski's age that much because I don't think he really relies on crazy physical attributes to do what he does. It, it's his positioning and his football IQ and his ability to finish, which I just don't really think are going to go away that much with age. You know, he'll decline a bit, but he's gotten better as he's gotten older. If we look at the trajectory of his career, and this is a guy who, you know, less than two years ago, basically got robbed of a Ballon d'Or because, you know, they decided not to award it. And then you could say that he should have gotten it over Messi last year. So I still think he is, you know, one of the best players in the world without a shadow of a doubt of a doubt. I think you underrate him personally because he's just insane. I mean, the dude scored 50 goals in a Bundesliga season. Like, come on. Keyword Bundesliga. But yeah, he I, I, I'm not trying to discredit his, his talent. I, I just really rate Kane. I would put him as the third best striker in the world. So I'm not trying to you know hate on him. So you'd put him above you put him above Holland then. Uh, currently, yeah, but Holland is young. Not for so long, Holland will, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not for yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. So Bayern Munich lost arguably their best player in Lewandowski. Obviously, they replaced him with Mane. Maybe they bring in a pure striker as well. But they did spend a lot of money on a defender this week, and it was Matthias Delict for over eighty million euros. We know Chelsea were in the race heavily. They really, really wanted him, but he ended up being Bayern. He will now go partner Upa Meccano. Uh, in the Bundesliga, what are your thoughts on this one, Garrett? I mean, I think they've been needing a big defender for a while, right? They lost Alaba. Now they've lost Niklas Sula, who, who's gone across the Der Klassiker divide to Dortmund. Um, and so they needed a replacement there. And I think Delict is a really, really good signing. Obviously a lot of money, but uh, we saw what he did at Ajax and, and he's still very young. Um, and although I don't think he's been quite as good as some people might have thought at Juve, I think he's kind of gone under, under the radar just how good he has been, um, you know, maybe not living up to, to what we would have thought. And obviously Juve have declined a lot, but I don't think he was part of the reason of that. I think he's been really good and I think he'll be fantastic for Bayern who, you know, despite losing Lewandowski seem like they still just have such a firm grip over the Bundesliga. Uh, yeah, it seems like Mane is going to be their number nine. They think after seeing him play there uh, a significant amount for Liverpool this season that he could fill up that gap. And geez, the amount of pace in their front line is ridiculous now. But yeah, I think they've been needing a replacement for Alaba. And now with other center backs leaving as well, they lost out on Rudiger to Real Madrid. I think De Ligt is probably the best signing they could have made. And then we can move to the Premier League, finally, we can end with the Premier League. Uh, starting with a departure, though, it is Steven Bergvine leaving Tottenham Hotspur to Ajax for 30 million euros. I think this is great for Steven Bergvine. I mean, he's going back to a league where he did really, really well, obviously. And he was in the Ajax youth system. Uh, he has experience there. 
I think that he just didn't fit in extremely well at Tottenham, but I think he's a really, really good player, and I think he'll succeed at Ajax. Yeah, and I think it's a good deal for Spurs as well because they recoup most of the money that they spent on him, you know, when they signed him from PSV. And, you know, Ajax at 30 million euros, it's not an insignificant fee, but right, young player, still only 24, right? And, and as you say, I think he can explode uh, re- on, upon his return to Eredivisie this season um, and really help Ajax get back to where they want to be, which is, you know, consistently sniffing around the Champions League knockout stages. Absolutely. And within Premier League move that was expected for a while, I think, Andreas Pereira from Manchester United to Fulham, 10 million pounds plus three in incentives. It's a three-year contract with a year option. So a pretty long contract, uh, but a good signing for Fulham, isn't it? Yeah, and he's straight in my FPL team now because I think he'll be an important player <laughs> for Marco Silva, um, and he's only like four and a half million. So yeah, get in my team. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good signing. I think Marco Silva has quite a job to keep Fulham up, and we know Fulham have been a yo-yo club as as of late, um, and they haven't really been able to stay up at all up, upon their return to the Premier League, which you know they haven't had too many difficulties doing. Um, but this could be a signing that helps them. But you know, at the end of the day, I still feel like which Mitrovic shows up is going to be one of the main deciding factors because if he has a down year as he does in the Premier League a lot. I just don't see where the goals are going to come from, but um, Pereira's creativity could really help uh, get Mitrovic into good form. And obviously he's not going to score as many goals as he did last year because geez, what a season he had, but you know, this could be a key to unlocking his potential within the Premier League. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, And that's a good preview for our upcoming FPL content. Uh, If you're not playing five in the midfield or starting five in the midfield in FPL, Andres Pereira better be in your team. Uh, But after an outgoing from United, it's an incoming to United. Lissandro Martinez to United, 57 million euros plus 10 million incentives contract until June 2027. It is a big, big signing at center back for Manchester United. But he's it's a big signing, but a little guy. Yeah, I mean, I just I'm not quite sure how he's going to transition to life in the Premier League as a center back. Honestly, I feel like he might end up playing CDM at some point. Like, I think they might realize, okay, this is a really good player, but center back just isn't the right position for him. And and I think he could maybe end up being United's CDM um, that they've needed for a long time. And that's a bit of a rogue shout, but he's played there before and, and he's played there before at Ajax and under Ten Hag. So we'll see. I think they probably sign him thinking center back, but you're right. Uh, he's not very tall. He's what, like 5'9"? So he, he's going to have problems against some of the strikers in the Premier League. Your Mitrovic, your Dominic Calvert-Lewin, right? Just players who are going to be able to dominate him in the box. So we'll see where he ends up playing most. But I don't know. As a center back signing, I, I'm not super convinced. Obviously, Varane and, and Maguire had bad years, but it's still just the fact they haven't signed a CDM unless this is it is just mind boggling to me. Yeah. It's as you say, just Eric Ten Hogg continuing to reunite with old players, bringing in uh, old players. We think probably Anthony might come in as well. Um, but De Jong, right? Yeah. Yeah. De Jong as well. But yeah, I, I, I don't think it's actually that bad of a shout to put him at CDM eventually because if he can if he can read play well enough, I, I think it's a good spot for him. I don't like him and Maguire as a partnership. Do you really think that's gonna mm, win you no. a league, much less even UCL? Like I don't know. So yeah, definitely a questionable one for me, but we'll we'll see. 
And then just in another big money signing who may or may not play in midfield is Zinchenko moving from your club, Manchester City, to Arsenal in a deal with worth £30 million pounds with uh, potentially two more in add-ons. It's a four-year contract for the Ukrainian player. Um, personally, I think this is a, a really good signing for Arsenal, and I think that he should play in midfield because, you know, Kieran Tierney has that left box, left back spot down, although he, you know, has fitness issues. But I've been saying for months, and, and you know this, that Arsenal need a midfielder to play next to Thomas Party because Xhaka and Elneny just aren't it, in my opinion. And I think a midfield partnership of Thomas Party and Zinchenko is fantastic. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think Zinchenko might even play a little bit higher, more as an eight. Um, but yeah. they can play a double, a double eight maybe. So it, it, I don't know exactly how it'll work, but I think you're right. And I think also the versatility of Zinchenko is really, really mm -hmm. important. So we know that Tierney is, has that left back slot, but it's, is he, can he stay healthy? Right. And, and the answer recently has been no. So if he is out, Zinchenko can easily slot back into that left back spot. But I think it's good, as you say, for both Arsenal and Zinchenko because Arsenal need a versatile player that can be that midfield spot and 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 cover for uh, Tierney. They needed both of those, and Zinchenko is one of the few players that can do both that I can think of in the world, really. So I think it's a good signing. I think for Manchester City, you're probably going to bring in Cucurella. We see that the... Uh, pursuit has stepped up after selling Zinchenko, obviously, but you, you got to let players go if they want to go. And, and we've discussed that on the podcast recently. Um, but 30 million is to me, basically spot on his market value, 30 yeah. to 35, which is exactly the range it's in. So I think it's not, you know, Manchester city getting fleeced or uh, Arsenal getting fleeced. It's a good deal for both teams. It's, it's exactly what uh, the market price is. And, as a Manchester City fan, you'll, look, it's it's tough to lose him. He's he's a warrior. He's going to fight always for the club, uh, for the crest. And I think Arsenal fans are going to love him just as much as Manchester City fans did. Yeah. And then, of course, a deal we've been previewing for a while, and we, we've talked about it. it. Raheem Sterling to Chelsea, it seemed inevitable, a saga that had kind of been going on for a while. But it has become official. And, you know, he flew to the U.S. to meet up with the squad in L.A. They played last night in Vegas, um, or it might've been two nights ago. I'm not sure, but 47 and a half million pounds is the final number, a contract until 2027 with then an option to make that actually 2028. So he'll be at Chelsea for quite a while. Um, personally, I think this is a great deal for Chelsea. I mean, 47 and a half million for a player with that kind of stature, who's accomplished what he's had. I agree that in the Zinchenko deal, Neither Arsenal nor City really got fleeced, but in this deal, I feel like City kind of did get fleeced. As a City fan, I agree. I mean, look, if Jesus is going for 45, how is Raheem Sterling going for 47 and a half? It's basically the same price. And Jesus had what five million add-ons too, so it could be even be higher than Sterling. It just doesn't make sense. And so the whole argument why Sterling was going for so low was, oh, well, he only has one year on his contract. Well, if he has one year on his contract, so does Jesus. So that's not an excuse why there's a difference in price because there's a difference in quality between Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus, huge. a large one, a large one. Exactly. So, I mean, this is huge for Chelsea. I, I agree that they fleeced uh, Manchester city for Raheem Sterling. He is in my opinion, still one of the best wingers in the world. And he's immediately Chelsea's best attacker 
for a lot less than they paid for these other guys that aren't performing as well as they should be. So just incredible signing for, for Chelsea. I get why um, Raheem wants to leave. He wants more playing time. Tuchel can give that to him while Pep cannot promise him that uh, at Manchester city. I wish he wouldn't leave. I'm much more broken up about this one than I am about Zinchenko. Um, but as you say, he flew out to LA and met up with the Chelsea squad. So I actually got the chance to meet him, uh, which was, which was fantastic. He, he signed my shirt and all that, but he, he's fantastic guy. He was visibly tired, you know, from all, I mean, he flew out, has to do all of this press work uh, with his signing and going to Dodger stadium and all this stuff with Todd Bowley. And he, he, I mean, a transfer is exhausting in itself, but transferring while you're flying halfway across the world is even more exhausting, right? He was visibly exhausted, but he took the time out to, uh, to, to, while he was going to the bus, everybody else was just going to the bus. He took extra time to come sign uh, a shirt for my friend, actually our designer, the guy who designed our new um, logos, right? For, for Joseph, he, he came out and signed his stuff even while he was just exhausted. He's just an amazing guy. So I'm happy for him. But as a Manchester City fan, I am devastated to lose him. And I think it's going to be way bigger of a loss than people realize. Yeah, you say a transfer is exhausting. I mean, doing it mid-preseason, right? Then the jet lag and then just the grueling workouts that they have to go through at the moment, you know, getting ready for the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly surprised that he was even uh, had enough energy to, to walk to the bus. You know, I thought someone might have to carry him over after training. But it's not the only player who has joined Chelsea mid-preseason in the U.S. because the other, a center back replacement uh, for Rudiger, I suppose, Khalidou Koulibaly from Napoli for 40 million euros um, and, and gets a pretty big salary of 10 million euros. Uh, I think, you know, obviously he's been rumored to be leaving Napoli for a long time, but as far as replacements for Rudiger go, you know, City were chasing this guy a few years ago. He's a very high pedigree, high quality defender. Um, and I think it's another good signing for Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they need to rebuild this back line, right? That got destroyed, uh, losing basically everyone bar their, their, their fullbacks are coming back, right? Reese James and Chilwell they have, but they don't have a center back outside of Thiago Silva. So this is a, a really, really big, maybe, for, maybe, but maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but point being, they needed a top center back. And that is Khalidou Koulibaly. Top clubs have been after him for a long time. Uh, 40 million is honestly not as much as, uh, you know, has been rumored for the past two or three years for, for the price for him. It was, it was 65 when Manchester City were going after him a couple of years ago. So I, I think it's, it's a good signing at a good price for Chelsea in, in a major position of need. So all the boxes are checked there. And then, Justin, before we wrap up this episode, of course, it's our weekly segment, Moment of the Week. Really interested to hear what yours has been from this two-week period, actually. We had extra to choose from. I hope it's something good. Yeah, my Moment of the Week had to be Jose Mourinho. We talked about him earlier. He got a tattoo. I believe it was his first tattoo. I'm not sure. On his arm, on the outside of his bicep, it is the three European trophies, the Champions League, the Europa League, and the Conference League trophies all together in a nice uh, little format that he designed himself. And he is the only manager to have ever won all three of those. And he said, I wanted a unique tattoo and one that nobody else could get. And that's exactly what he did. I love it. 
And as somebody who still backs Jose Mourinho as a top manager, it was just had to be my moment of the week. Yeah, obviously, I don't back him as much as you do on the managerial front, but I think he's a hilarious character. Um, and, and so I do love this for him, to be honest. It, the, the picture of him just staring blank face into the camera was pretty cold. But uh, my moment of the week, Justin, was from my own club, Everton, where you know we haven't had many things to be happy about uh, recently. But I'm very happy about the fact that our young academy product, Anthony Gordon, who had a breakout season last year, has been awarded the number 10 shirt uh, for the club, which is was vacant last year because a certain someone was uh, arrested under suspicion of doing some bad things. But uh, hopefully Tony Gordon doesn't inherit the, the bad juju of the number 10 shirt at the moment. But he really earned this. Um, and Frank Lampard said in an interview recently that he is our player. He's going nowhere, you know, amid interest from Spurs and, and other clubs, apparently. Um, and so I love that he's been given this responsibility, but also this declaration of, you know, his importance to the squad, but also to Everton Football Club in general. Absolutely. Well, my personal moment of the week, well, on the topic of jerseys, it was Raheem Sterling signing my kit, uh, as well as the whole Pulisic and Jorginho saga, but we won't get into that. Yeah, if you guys didn't see that on Twitter, just, yeah, go look. It was hilarious. Well, maybe not to find. Justin. It won't be yeah. hard to find. <laughs> and then, Justin, we can uh, quickly just mention our game of the week for next week which is austin against uh new york red bulls second in the west versus third in the east and you mentioned it earlier austin are 6-0-1 against the eastern conference so we'll see if they can keep that up and you know keep pace with lafc which you know hasn't really seemed possible considering how lafc have been playing but austin have just been incredible recently yeah they absolutely have uh and the the couple teams in the East are doing really well, but it's almost seeming like it's going to be a race in the West for the supporter shield. We'll see. Uh, I don't want to count out the the team, two teams in the East, New York City and Philly, that are doing very, very well. But these two teams in the West are just ridiculous this season, aren't they? Yeah. I think also, you know, Cassiano's leaving is going to be a big tent for uh, NYCFC. But if Red Bulls want to be in with a shout, this is a game that they probably need to win. So it should be a good one. And we'll talk about it next week, of course. And with that, Justin, that brings this mega episode to an end. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We have new handles, actually. So on Twitter, we are at U90Official. That's U90Official. And Instagram at upper 90 official and we have go by the same name on tiktok which we will be posting um our same daily content to as well um on top of what we already do on twitter and instagram so be sure to follow us on all of those channels um we thank you for bearing with us through this long episode um but we've got some amazing content planned coming up um especially as as we will be departing for england in just about a month's time so really looking forward to it justin thank you all for listening see you next week